Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and we're listening to Jane the Ripper by Danielle Nabert. This psychological suspense is a throwback to the early 90s and a tribute to women breaking through the glass ceiling. This novel pits two women against each other as Detective Maggie Shepard hunts for a serial killer who's taking out men. One reviewer says, It's easy to like the murderer. She has a reason for her rage and her targeting of victims. Let's begin the story so you can decide for yourself which woman you're rooting for. So get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 15 Jane watched Maggie and Mark from the top of the hill from her car. She laughed to herself as she watched them argue. She couldn't hear what was being said, but she could tell a lot from their expressions. She adjusted her binoculars to see them better and saw that Maggie had finally found the baggie she left her. She knew they wouldn't be able to identify the plant, as it originally came from South America and was also illegal. She waited a few minutes after they drove off and reversed her car to follow them at a distance as they drove into town. She was curious to see what they would do next. So, what do you think, Susan? Maggie asked her. Mark and Parker had dropped Maggie off at the coroner's office while they went to the station to see if they could get any prints off the note. Susan was observing the small petals under the microscope. Her brow creased in concentration. Can you leave this with me? Susan asked. My books are at home. Well, I don't know. It'd be easier for me to study at home. All I do is take a few photos for you now. You can use the photos to obtain whatever information you need. Besides, you'll need the photos for your report, won't you? Well, I suppose, Maggie said with reluctance. Good. This will only take a few minutes. Susan took a photo of the plant. By the way, where is Mark? At the station. Maggie didn't like that Mark and Susan seemed to be interested in each other. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping he'd come with you. Will you say hi for me? Yes. How are those photos coming? Maggie tried to keep the frustration out of her voice. Susan snapped a couple more pictures of the plant and handed the drive to Maggie. I'm going to take this home with me. She put the plant and its parts back into the baggie. Want me to drop you off somewhere? Maggie said that she would go to the library. She was going to check out a couple books about codes to see if she could find an idea about the numbers the Ripper had left her. Mark sat at Maggie's desk. He played with the pencil. He didn't like the way things were going. He knew that if he said anything more to Maggie, she would blow. He'd supposed he better figure out this new clue the killer so generously gave them. The numbers didn't make any sense to him. Mark thought that maybe they came from some reference book. What reference book? He had no idea. But the only way to figure it out was to get up off his butt and go look. Mark was about to get up and ask someone where the nearest library was when one of the officers peeked their head around the corner and told him that Edwards wanted to see him. Alone. Mark went into Edwards' office. A cloud of stale cigar smoke greeted him when he opened the door. What is it, sir? I was just about to leave. Sit down, Crowns. I have a few questions to ask about this. 
Edwards held up the profile report he had received earlier in the morning. Go ahead. I'll answer any questions you have. Mark sat down and lit up a cigarette. He had a feeling this was going to take some time. First, what the hell does organized killing mean? What is so organized about these murders? And this, driving a dark blue sedan or Ford, very immaculate condition, has a job with good work history, mostly independent, living by self, home is remarkably clean, person is clean and orderly, he doesn't like things out of control, himself or his surroundings. What the fuck does this shit mean? Where is my description? What does this asshole look like? Edwards tapped the report with an angry finger after every question. This is what you got? No, it's not a description of what this man looks like. It's his personality. You'll be able to find this person by his actions. His looks won't mean a thing, Mark said calmly and tapped his cigarette into the overfilled ashtray. He continued, This guy looks like everyday Joe. He doesn't have any horns or red eyes that glow. He could be anyone. He could be the guy who cleans these offices, the guy who pumps your gas. The only way you're going to capture this asshole, as you say, is by the strange quirk he has. What strange quirks? Intelligence isn't a quirk. Neither is being clean. What are my men supposed to do? Go from house to house to see if it's clean? Stuff every car that's dark and in good condition? Hell. That description fits me for the killer. Sir, trust me, Maggie does on this. Maggie. Oh, yes. Detective Shepard. Where is she, anyways? Edwards looked around as if Maggie was hiding in the corners. She's out doing field research, Mark said calmly. Well, at least someone is. When you see her, tell her I want to talk to her, pronto. If you don't mind me asking, about what? I do mind, but I will tell you anyway. I'm thinking of taking her off this case. It's getting to be too much, and I need results. That would be a mistake, Mark snapped. And why is that? Edwards noticed a pinched look on Mark's face. Because the Ripper likes her. The who? The Ripper. That is what the killer calls himself. If you had taken the time to read Maggie's reports... You would have known he has personally contacted her. How? Edward scowled at Mark. I'll let you read about them yourself. I don't like your tone. And I don't like your attitude. If you lose Maggie, you'll lose the killer. If he keeps this up, he might just give himself up to her. Mark ground a cigarette out and stood up. Where do you think you're going? Edwards asked. To help Maggie find the killer. Mark put his hand on the doorknob and turned back to Edwards. Read the reports. Thoroughly. Maybe you'll learn something. And with that, he slammed the door behind him, leaving Edwards to stare at the door. Chapter 16 Maggie had no luck at the library. She had hoped that she would have discovered something, but she had no luck. Frustrated. She had called Susan to meet her at the dinner. Frustrated, she called Susan to meet her at the diner for some coffee, and if she had any luck. Susan informed her that she didn't have any either. So what now? Maggie asked Susan. 
I'll go back to my books and you can go home. Call that handsome friend of yours and invite him over for a drink. Susan smirked at Maggie. Stop, Susan. It's not the time. Sorry, reflex, Susan replied. Hey, I got it. Got what? Susan tapped the newspaper that had been laying on the table when they walked in. Those numbers. They are here. Susan pointed at the top of the paper. Look. Section A, page one. Susan grabbed the next section and turned the pages till she found what she was looking for. Here, read this. And she turned the paper in Maggie's direction. People of Willow Springs, I beg you to do something about the danger in our town. I have left numerous accounts of my doing, and you were never warned about it. I am the Ripper. I am the nightmare come true. The high ratio of my schemes have not been truthfully told. I am now telling you the truth. I am here to warn you. By tomorrow, the whole state will know. Blame it on the imbeciles of your police force. But please, don't blame Maggie Shepard. She is smart, but she doesn't know it yet. My hat's off to you, Maggie Shepard. The Ripper. So, what do you think? Brains and beauty, huh? Susan said. I'm surprised no one called the station about this. A lot of people probably didn't read it or thought it was a joke. You know, Maggie, there was only one time a murder was mentioned in the papers. The public doesn't know about the others. You're right, but that's not my fault. I told Edwards that the public has a right to know what's going on. Edwards? Susan gave a disgruntled snort. That man wouldn't know what to do if he ran out of toilet paper. Maggie laughed. It was true. Edwards wasn't the most intelligent man, especially when it came to public relations. So, what do you think of this statement that the state will know? I don't know, Maggie said. But I'm sure we will find out tomorrow. She shook her head. Yeah, but are we going to want to know? Personally, I don't think so. I have a feeling we're going to have a full-time panic on our hands. Jane hung up the phone. She was more than ready for the morning activities. Jane was going to make sure she got her break early at work tomorrow, and she didn't want to miss any of the excitement. She crossed the name off her list and went to the next one. Jane picked up the phone and dialed. Chapter 17 the morning was more of a bustle than Jane or Maggie expected. TV channels 2, 5, and 11 had shown up and even a CCTV van was parked out front. Reporters from the different newspapers had also shown up. They were camped out on the front lawn of the courthouse, refusing to leave until they got some answers. Maggie pushed her way through the crowd. Microphones were pushed towards her and shouts erupted from all directions. What are you doing about this horrendous crime? Why wasn't the public notified about the killings? Do you have any suspects? Everyone was firing questions at her. Maggie shoved a reporter out of her way and walked up the court steps above the crowd. She waved her arms about to quiet them. If you please, give us a little time. We will have some answers for you soon. Do you have any suspects? Is this a serial killer? Why wasn't the public notified? They all kept yelling at her. 
Maggie shrugged her shoulders in defeat. They weren't going to listen to her, and she walked away from all this craziness. She opened the courthouse doors and went inside. Pretty rowdy crowd. Maggie jumped. Mark was standing by the window. Rowdy? I've been to happier bar fights, Maggie replied. Mark grinned. For some reason, I believe that. Maggie grinned back at him. They walked up the steps together to the mayor's office. Who the hell called them anyway? Maggie asked. Would you believe our friend, the Ripper? Last night, Maggie had called Mark and told him about the letter in the newspaper. It makes sense. You weren't giving him the publicity he craved. So, he went to all the work to bring it to himself. The crowd is going to have to be watched. He'll be there, watching and listening. They opened the door to the mayor's office. Inside, waiting for them was Edwards, Susan, and the mayor behind his desk. Edwards was pacing, chewing on his bottom lip. Susan turned towards the opening door and smiled at them. Mayor Steele, sorry it took so long to arrive, Maggie said. She shut the door behind her. This is my associate, Mark Crowns, from the FBI. Mark went to the desk and put his hand out. Sorry we had to meet in this situation. Mayor Steele shook his hand. Thank you for coming. He motioned for the newcomers to sit. So, what's our next step? The mayor asked. We need to get some men out there in the crowd, Maggie replied. Edwards interrupted. I already have my men on it. I hope not in uniform, Mark turned towards the pacing man. Of course in uniform. I need them to maintain control. Sir, no offense but that will scare away the one person we want to appear, Mark said. Who do you want to show up? The mayor asked. The Ripper. The who? The mayor asked. The Ripper. That is what the murderer is calling himself. We started calling him that after the first letter. What letter? What are you talking about, and why wasn't I notified that the killer had contacted the police? Mayor Steele fired off his questions in an angry tone. I, uh, thought, Edward stammered, quiet, I want you two to answer me. The mayor pointed at Maggie and Mark. Well, sir, Maggie began. Mark interrupted. It's personal for the Ripper. He has something against this town, it seems. He also has no respect for the police. But he does respect Maggie. He trusts her. I don't understand. What did we do? The mayor asked. Neither do I, Maggie said. You all know the story behind Jack the Ripper, right? He wrote to the police, mocking them publicly. That is what our Ripper is doing. There are different conspiracies why, but I won't get into that. I don't know what he has against this town. Maybe somebody said something to him or looked at him wrong. Who knows? But anyway, the first Ripper stopped suddenly. I have a feeling that our Ripper is going to stop also. Then what's with all of them? Maggie nodded towards the window. His show? He wants to see his name in the papers and on TV. He wants to be remembered, but he doesn't want to be caught. But I thought you said he might give himself up to Shepard, Edwards replied. He probably will in his own way. But in his mind, that is not the same as being caught. He wants to be famous first. He'll eventually go to Maggie with his problems. He is starting to think of her as his mother confessor. So, in the meantime, the mayor asked, what am I supposed to say? I have a press conference in 20 minutes. 
Tell them this is the police's top priority. That for now, all men are doubled up, and that there are more cars on patrol, Mark explained. Don't give this murderer what he wants. Don't call him the Ripper. We are not going to play his game. Isn't that going to set him off? Susan spoke up for the first time in the office. Mark turned to her and smiled. It might make him more reckless instead. He will be angry that we aren't playing his game. I would expect he will be contacting Maggie again after this. Maggie didn't look pleased. But she understood what Mark was aiming for. What about a curfew? Edwards and I were discussing it before you came in. Mistake, Maggie said. Why's that? Edwards snapped at her. Think about it. It is close to hunting season. First of all, you will have hunters piling up in the station, angry. Plus, you don't want to cause a panic in town. We want the citizens to think we've got things under control. Also, we don't want to give the Ripper control. The mayor got up from his desk and walked heavily to the office door. He half opened the door and turned his head. Edwards, make sure your men are out on the streets, doubled up immediately. And for you two, I want this killer stopped, now. With that, he opened the door all the way and slammed it behind him. Can you believe that guy? I think I voted for him last time. Gum, anyone? Susan pulled out a package of gum and popped a piece in her mouth. Both Maggie and Mark laughed. Edwards glared at the three of them and followed the mayor out the door. Shane watched the crowd of reporters. Other people from town were walking around her excitedly. A reporter noticed them and wandered over with his cameraman and started interviewing a few of the locals. He eventually stopped in front of Jane and asked her if she minded a simple interview. Jane pulled her handkerchief out of her pocket and wrung it in her hand, making herself look weak and vulnerable. She answered his questions in a quiet voice. After a couple of moments, the reporter shook his head and walked away from her, looking for his next interview. Jane stared at his back with disdain. Fucking idiot. Here I am, your real story. Not silly questions about how scared we are, you idiot. Jane laughed out loud. A couple people turned her way. She just smiled at them and walked away. She had to get back to the library before she was missed. Chapter 18 The rest of the day was quiet for Jane. Most of the town folks were clustered at City Hall. She had gotten all the recent gossip from Sheila, the girl from reference. Sheila had gone on and on how scared she was. Jane nodded and awed at all the right places. She didn't really care what Sheila felt. She just wanted the information on what the mayor had to say. In fact, it was so slow they decided to close the library early. That was fine for Jane. She wanted to watch herself on the news anyway. Sitting on her floral couch, flipping channels, Jane finally found the channel that interviewed her. My God, she thought. I do look pitiful, don't I? She listened closely to her answers. They were all right. The man cut her off by saying that the townsfolks were all scared for their life. He was going on and on about how terrible the murders were. But Jane didn't hear him anymore. Her mind had drifted to the last time she was interviewed. 1995 Miss Lawrence, Miss Lawrence, how do you feel? 
A small man wearing wire-rimmed glasses yelled at Jane, and she walked out of the courthouse with her attorney. Jane smiled shyly at him. Her hair was down and flowing in her face. She swept it aside and clutched her black purse tightly to her chest. It was the same black purse she owned now. I feel happy, content, she told him. Did they ever give you a reason for accusing you for your father's death? I would have guessed it was because I was the last one to see him alive, but that's something my attorney would have to tell you. What are you going to do now, Miss Lawrence? Go back to work at the library and put all of this behind me. I want to mourn for my father now so I can go on with my life. Jane stepped off the last step and smiled at the reporter before she walked away. She went to her car and got in. Mourn my ass, she thought as she started up the car. I'm glad the motherfucker is dead. Jane pulled up to where her home once stood. All that was left was burnt ashes. She was glad it wasn't there anymore. That place held only nightmares for her. She remembered the night the house last stood. The night of her father's death. Nine months ago. Get your ass out here, her father screamed. Jane walked into the living room. She put her father's dinner in front of him. Jane could smell the alcohol reeking from him. She knew a battle was about to begin. I need some money. I gave it all to you last night. Jane remembered to keep her eyes down. She might be older, but he was still stronger, even after the freak farm accident that caused him to lose his left arm. I want some money, he repeated. I don't have any extra. Fuck you, don't. Give me your purse. Jane did have ten dollars left, but she was saving that for lunch at work this week. Besides, if she gave it to him, he would only buy beer with it. Since she started working, she was responsible for all the bills and groceries. She was lucky if she ever had a few bucks for herself at the end of the pay period. I forgot my purse at work, Jane lied. Liar. I have a pain, girl and you better figure out a way to help me. I might have some change. I'm sure there is enough for a six-pack. Might even have enough for some chips. How does that sound, Papa? Her father was licking his lips. He had a better idea for how to get rid of his pain. He grinned at his cowering daughter. I have a better idea. Why don't you come over here and help your pa, and you can run out and get some beer? Jane backed slowly out of the room. Her father hadn't touched her since his accident, but now he seems to be ready for his games again. She tried to figure her way out of it. Papa, I remember I stashed a 20 for Christmas. About if I go get you some whiskey, huh? Her father usually couldn't resist whiskey. Later. First I need you to rid me of my other pain. In my lower head, if you know what I mean. Then you can rid me of the pain in my big head. He started to chuckle at his own bad pun. I'm running to the store now, Papa. Jane turned to walk out of the room. Her father slipped quietly out of his chair and grabbed her with his one good arm. Leave me alone, Jane screamed. She pushed him away. Bitch, he slapped her. In his drunken stage, he stumbled with the slap and fell on top of Jane. Jane struggled to get out from under him. He slipped his hand through her blouse and gave it a good grip. When Jane pushed him away, 
her blouse ripped, and he was still holding her down. He took that to his advantage and pulled her to the ground. He pulled her blouse with his teeth, ripping the rest of the material. He pushed up her bra and clamped down on her nipple. Jane cried out. She beat him on the head. He bit harder. Jane grabbed a handful of his hair and pulled up on his head. Her father let out a growl. He yanked his head up. His mouth still clamped onto Jane's nipple. She screamed in pain. Her father had let up on her, but had taken her nipple with him. Her eyes full of tears, Jane looked at her father. His eyes were crazed, his mouth bloody. She had never seen him like this before. Jane knew that this time she was going to die. He was going to beat her to death for fighting back. Jane scrambled backwards and slowly got up. She kept an eye on her father. He kneeled, staring at her, smiling. Jane felt her insides turning. She noticed her pants were wet. She looked down and realized that she had urinated. Her father got to his feet and she shook her head. He took a step forward. Jane took a step backwards. They both played the game of forward and backwards till they reached the kitchen counter when Jane has nowhere else to go. She had backed herself into a trap. Her father realized this and grinned. You are going to pay, he said in a low tone. Jane reached behind her. Her hand found the knife that she had used earlier at dinner. She held out the large carving knife in front of her. Tears streamed down her face. Her chest heaved in and out in a panic. Blood poured freely from the mangled nipple onto the kitchen floor. Lawrence looked at Jane's face and then to the knife. He laughed. You don't have the guts. Leave me alone. Jane's voice was shaking. I'll fucking kill you, you little bitch. Put the fucking knife down now. He slowly walked towards her. Jane waved the knife at him. I mean it. Leave me alone. I'm leaving out that door, Papa, and you're going to let me. You ain't fucking going anywhere. They both stared at each other. Jane finally let her gaze down. She knew he wouldn't let her go. She decided she might as well put the knife down and take her punishment. It couldn't be as bad as the other beating she had received in the past. She slowly let the knife lower. That's better. Now give it to me. Her father held out his hand. Jane looked at her father. He was still smiling. No, she thought. No more. She brought the knife back up and looked him in the eyes. No. No? I'll teach you to say no to me. He moved towards Jane and stumbled and fell into her. Jane, still holding the knife in front of her, felt it slide into her father's body. His eyes went up to hers, shock registering in both of their eyes. Jane pushed her father, the knife sliding out of his body, and he fell to the floor. She dropped the knife and fell to her knees at her father's side. Papa, Papa, I'm sorry. Jane touched his face. His eyes were closed. Fucking whore, he whispered. Jane barely caught his words. He opened his eyes and she saw the hatred in them. She sat back on her rear and stared at him. He didn't move. He was still staring, accusing her. Jane sat still for ten minutes. She knew it was exactly ten minutes because she had counted the time from the clock ticking loudly away. When she realized her father wasn't going to move anymore, she finally stood up. 
Jane wandered around the house, not sure what she was looking for. She stopped at the doorway of the kitchen and stared at the man on the floor. Jane realized she felt nothing, but she didn't care. She laughed. She was free. She was finally free from this prison. She had to clean up the mess and call the police. But no, they won't believe it was in self-defense. Jane slid onto the floor and started to cry. She was going from this prison to another. She had to do something. Jane looked back through the kitchen doorway again. On the counter was a box of matches. Fire. That would get rid of the evidence. Jane quickly got to her feet. She knew what she had to do. Jane walked around her father's body into the bedroom, grabbed a change of clothes, and headed to the bathroom. She cleaned herself up and bandaged up her breast. Then she dressed warmly and went out to the tool shed. She hoped the gasoline can was filled. It was, and she grabbed it. She mechanically walked back to the house. She doused the furniture and floors. She went to her father last and poured the rest of the gasoline on him. Suddenly, her father's eyes opened. Jane jumped back. He was alive. Son of a bitch was alive. Her hands trembled and she dropped the box of matches onto the floor. She picked them up and looked back at her father. His eyes were closed. It was her imagination. She struck a match, timidly, and put it on her father's prone body. Jane watched the flames, wanting to make sure they wouldn't go out. Satisfied, she went into the living room and lit another match and torched the couch. When she was sure the fire was large enough not, she walked out the door. Jane wiped angrily at the tears from her eyes as the news had turned to some silly sitcom. Never say sorry, Papa. That's what you taught me. I'm not sorry, you son of a bitch. You deserve to burn. Burn in hell for all you have done. All men deserve to. Jane got up from the couch with an angry scowl on her face. She went into the bedroom and slammed the door behind her. I hope you enjoy chapters 15 to 18. On Tuesday, we will finish Jane the Ripper. Will Maggie discover the Ripper's true identity? Or will Jane narrowly escape capture? You can find Danielle Nabert's other novels on Amazon. She has a vast collection to choose from. Many are free to read with Kindle Unlimited. To keep up with various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively. Or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Do you want to be part of my secret obsession? I'm looking for secrets and tattletales to read aloud on the podcast. Do you know any small town secrets? Have you had a brush with danger that rocked your world? Are supernatural activities or hauntings keeping you up at night? Write your story and send it to my secret obsession podcast at gmail.com.